Greetings. Good morning. I'm so happy to see everyone here today. A little bit less people here today than there were yesterday. Um, but for all of you who came out yesterday, it was such a great day so that we could honor Mr. Raphael. So let's continue today in worship. If you could please stand, that would be great.
Hello, church. It's been a weekend, huh? I just want to give a shout out to Devin and Jeanette and Jaden and Daniel and Matt and Merle and Dave because they were all on the job this morning after a Thursday, Friday, Saturday service for Raphael. And many of them took part in that. I think all of them did. And what an amazing expenditure of energy that is. When you're together with family, and man, wasn't it a powerful service yesterday? Just person after person after person shared and gave tribute to Raphael's life. And uh, guys, we love you. And we stand with you after it gets quiet, after things settle down. We remember. We remember with you. We remember our friend. And folks, your eyes are not deceiving you. That's Doug Seiden that we see in the back. <clears throat> Welcome, Doug. We've been asking about you and inquiring after you, and everybody's wondering, how's Doug Seiden? Well, here he is in the flesh. Brother, we're so glad to see you. We want to be praying for, uh, for Donna. Donna, who's usually about right there, has been in the hospital over the weekend, had a surgery, uh, intestinal issues. Uh, so let's pray for Donna. Let's lift her up. She's still in the hospital at Kaiser Oakland. We've got, uh, we've got birthdays. Was it a year ago already that I said, hey, why don't we all text Merle on her birthday? Can you believe it? Her birthday has come around again. January 30th. Do you have a question, young lady? On the 30th? Both on the 30th. Is that right? Wow. Are you trying to deflect the, ten the attention away from yourself? Okay. I got you. Um, Alyssa's not listed, but Alyssa is... Uh, February 1. I don't know where she is. She snuck away. There she is. <laughs> Alyssa's knocking on the door of the big 1-5-15. The world is your oyster. Who else can we be praying for? Just uh, raise your hand or shout it out if you've got something. We're all tired, huh? We want to rest and be restored. And that comes from God, too. Absolutely, as we lean into Him. Well, let's take some time. Would you join with me as we pray? God, you are good all the time. And all the time, you are good. We give you our praise, God. We give you our thanks. We remember our friends, God. We remember Raphael. And we pray for his family, God, in the days to come that you would give them strength as they grieve his passing. How we thank you, God, for the assurance of our faith in the gospel and how he lived that out for us. God, that we have hope beyond this life. We thank you. 
We pray for our sister Donna. God, we lift her up to you. Pray that you would give her strength in these days of recovery, post-surgery. God, we pray as well for Wendy Velasquez. Wendy's home now, but has been through another round of hospitalizations. God, encourage her heart as she continues to trust in you. Thank you for Brother Doug and his presence with us. God, we pray for your blessing on his life, on he and Marilyn, and we thank you. Thank you, God, for who you are and for who you've made us to be, how you've knit together here at First Baptist, a community of friends and people who love you and who walk with you. God, we pray that you would show up for us this week in surprising ways. And God, give us a certain sensitivity. Let us see. Let us be aware of when it's happening. God, when you provide for our needs, when you direct our path, when you give us uh, bursts of energy, and when you allow us to rest. God, we take our rest in you. You are our Savior. You're our strength, you're our shield, you're our light and our salvation. And God, in all things, we look to you in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I'm going to ask the kids to come forward. So I have to be honest, I forgot I had children's church this morning because it was a busy weekend. But you know, one thing that um, pastors are going to talk about today is Psalms 113.9. And that's one of my favorite verses or book in the Bible or this particular one because it talks about how we were made and how we're wonderfully made. See, kind of like um, everything that we have, everything that we do, and like when your parents had you, God already knew what you were going to be. He knew that you were going to be smart. He knew that you're going to be pretty. And God already knew all the blessings that you would have as you grow up. And so today I wanted to just remind your parents, your aunts and your uncles, that all of you are a special gift from God. So this morning, let's pray and thank God for all the gifts that he has given us. Dear God, thank you so much for all the things that you have done. Thank you, God, that you know every hair in our head, everything that goes through our minds and our heart. And no matter what happens, Father, I thank you that you love us, that you care for us, and that you really, really want to know us. I pray that you would be with these kids as they grow up, as this year goes on. I pray that you would just guide them and lead them and protect them.
In your son's name we pray. Amen. Would the ushers please come forward? Join me, join me in as we pray for the offering. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to give back to you a portion of what you have given us. Pray that you would bless this gifts and use it for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
us, gives us a sense of what's up. It's a brand new year, right? 2020, last Sunday of the new year, we've been talking about new things, new beginnings, new stuff. Yesterday began a year of the rat, Chinese New Year. Uh, rats are known for being, you know, industrious, right? Hard workers, Prosperity, savers. So whatever the year of the rat means for you, you know, ponder that. But I've got something else for us <laughs> to consider. Uh, knowledge. Knowledge. We know things. And uh, we know ourselves, supposedly. Uh, Self-knowledge is one of the most important attributes that you can possess and so I want to lean into that a little bit this morning and begin with sort of an exercise. Voting, show of hands. Uh, do you know London Breed? Raise your hand. Okay, London Breed. Who's London Breed? Shout it out. The mayor of San Francisco, right. Denzel Washington, do you know Denzel, right? It's a good looking man. Who's Denzel? He's a movie star, right? Bernie Sanders, put him up high. Bernie, do you know Bernie? Yeah, feel the burn, right? Bernie Sanders, older gentleman, running for uh, president. Um, let's bring it on down a little bit. Grace, come out. Do you know Grace? Put your hands up. We know Grace, right? Okay, doing pretty well. Chuck Myers, anybody know Chuck Myers? All right, Chuck. So we know, folks, right? Do you know yourself? Raise your hand. Do you know yourself? A few of you claim self-knowledge. It's imperative. And what? Uh, Steph Curry, anyone? Steph Curry, okay. I almost forgot. Brother Steph. 
We know him, we love him, right? Steph Curry for president, huh? You heard it here. All right. There are degrees of knowing, right? Because I know of London Breed. I mean, I could pick her out of a lineup. I know certain things about her. She's the mayor of San Francisco. And things that were in the news I read, and so I know a little bit about London Breed, but I don't know her. Same with Bernie. Been following Bernie. The last couple presidential campaign cycles, we know certain things about Bernie. We know some of his policy. We know some of his positions. We know some of the press uh, things that are said around Bernie, Steph, Curry. We've seen him play. We know certain things about him. You know, Grace and Chuck, they've been around for a little bit. We've had conversations with them. So we know a little bit more about Grace and Chuck than we know about, say, Denzel Washington or Bernie Sanders or London Breed. There are degrees of knowing, right? And then the circle becomes even smaller yet, and you think about those folks in your family. We know our sister, our brother. We know aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, mother and dad a little better than the average bear. But do, do we know ourselves? And if so, what do we know? And how do we get a hold of knowledge like that? Here's why it's important it comes across in whether or not folks are self-aware. And I hope you understand what I'm driving at here. Because the opposite of self-aware is kind of oblivious, right? Self-aware is understanding who I am, how I am in the world, what motivates me, what drives me, what moves me, how I'm wired. There's people like that, right? And there's other people that just kind of plow through life seemingly oblivious to the way that they come across to others, the way that they impact people. And that, too, is on a spectrum. You know, it's not like there's a certain breed of people that are more highly evolved than others that have an acute sense of self-awareness, and there's other people that are just kind of like going through the motions. But we're all on a spectrum, right? We all know certain things about ourselves. How do we gain? That's what I want to explore with you this morning. How do we gain a higher level of self-awareness? Because it's incredibly important in terms of interacting in the world. So I want you to turn with me, if you haven't already, to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is one of those really familiar ones. It has this beautiful poetic language that we sort of resonate with, and it leaves us in wonder, right? Um, we read Psalm 139, and then we find out that God is omnipresent, and God is omniscient. And God is omnipotent. And pretty soon, we're omni-overwhelmed, right? Yeah, God's pretty incredible. And his knowledge of us is the base or the foundation for our own sense of self-awareness. In other words, to know myself and to be known 
is to experience the way that God knows me. And not only the way that God knows me, but the way that God understands me, because there's a difference between knowing and understanding, right? Do you know me? Yes, right? You can pick me out of a lineup. Do you know me? You know certain characteristics about me. Do you understand me? Probably not. And I may not understand myself, right? Psalm 139 gives us a pathway to knowing. It begins, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. The psalmist begins with an awareness that he, and I say he because it's ascribed to David, he is seen by God. And isn't it something to be seen? I was talking with... uh, Dean Flesher after the service yesterday and about Raphael and about the tributes that we heard from people and person after person after person there was kind of a common theme that we were made to feel special by him he saw us he paid attention right so this little banter that different ones of us had with him just gave us the indication that we were known, that we were seen, and there's power in that. feels good, doesn't it? It feels good not to be invisible in a crowd of people. It feels good to look around and see folks who are familiar and to whom I am familiar. I like to be seen. I like to be known. I like to be embraced. That's what it means to be human. We're made to connect with one another. And the foundation of all of that is understanding that God sees us. And he sees us in a way more pure than we see ourselves. Because God is closer to us than our own breath. Amazing. Before a word is on my tongue, God knows it. Knows what's going to be said. Knows what's being formed in my subconscious self. Before I even form the words, God knows them completely. God hymns me in. I love that. Behind and before. That means God's in my future, God's in my past, God's in my present. God is everywhere with me, which leads the psalmist to say in verse 7, beginning the next stanza, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Don't read that like David's trying to get out from under God's thumb. David's not trying to run away or to be unseen. He just, the reality is overwhelming. Where can I go, God, that you aren't there? The answer is nowhere. Verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, uh, that's H-E double hockey sticks, Sheol, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and settle on the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand leads me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. So with God we are seen and understood, but also we're located. God's got our precise GPS location. Knows exactly where we are in the world. And that's good news. We just don't always know it because like our first parents, Eve and Adam, we sometimes get lost in shame. The shame of who we are, the shame of our imperfection, the shame of our misdeeds and our misgiving. And because of that shame, we want to hide like our first parents, right? All of a sudden, we realize, man, I'm naked, exposed before God, and it's, it's kind of disconcerting, so we want to hide and run and get away. But God is there. He locates us. That's a beautiful thing that God is everywhere. In my experience that's positive, God is in the midst of it. In my experiences that are challenging, God is right there in the middle of it. In my experience of failure, when I feel worse about myself, God is there coaxing and cajoling me out from under that shame. God says, child, step out into the light. You are forgiven and free. And there's no need to hide. God says, I'm not angry with you. I'm not looking to punish you for messing up. I just want to be near you. And I want to give you a sense of how I see you. You understand this? Like as a parent or as a paternal influence in a person's life, you want them to see the... Uh, you want them to see the uh, potential that you see and to know how magnificent they are. But they lose sight of it, right? We lose sight of it for whatever reason. We've, we've bought into this idea that we are not worthy, we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we're not good-looking enough, we're not thin enough, we don't, we're not tall enough, we're not short enough, we're not whatever, Right? There's all this criteria out there, and I don't meet it. I don't match it. God locates us in the midst of that and invites us to, to let go of whatever faulty criteria we've seized upon and the way that we try to define ourselves in the world. God says he wants to do that, and here's why. It sounds really simple. But God made you. He formed you. Now your parents had a hand in it, right? And it probably wouldn't have happened without them. Young people, ask your parents when you get home. How exactly was I made? But God forms us. Verse 13 
It was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. How beautiful is this? I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret place intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw, they beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them. I try to count them, they're more than the sand. I come to the end, I'm still with you. And through this nine-month incubation period, a human is made, right? Crafted together, beautifully, magnificently, in the image of Almighty God. It's amazing when you stop and think about it, right? The human body. I mean, we look at it and we see a head torso, arms, legs, right? Some of us look one way, some of us look another way. We're all sort of different and unique. But then you think about the things that are the same about us, the systems in the body that are at work. We have the circulatory system. Yes, I'm on my phone. The digestive system, the endocrine system, the immune system, the lymphatic system, the nervous system, the muscular system, the reproductive system, the skeletal system, the respiratory system, the urinary system, the integumentary system. All of these systems in place, common to humanity making us work, any one of which we couldn't live without, right? I mean, that's some craftsmanship there. That's pretty special. The vital organs, right? The human brain, the human heart, kidney, liver, lungs. We're made up and we're, we're held in this beautiful, perfect balance. It's amazing stuff doesn't go wrong more, right? It's amazing that all these things work in perfect balance and intricate harmony. Human body is made up of a hundred trillion cells. Mm. The average adult takes over 20,000 breaths each day. Every day your kidneys process 200 quarts of blood and filter out two full quarts of waste from your body every day. The human brain, only the brain, contains 100 billion nerve cells. So don't feel bad if you can't remember something, right? There's a lot going on up there. In addition to where are my keys, right? It's amazing the intricacy of the human body, the complexity and the beauty and all of that is owing to God because he formed us. 
He created us. He had a hand. The psalmist is reflecting on that. Nine-month incubation period, God is weaving us together, nerve-ending by nerve-ending, by cell, by system, by vital organ, by blood, by water, by bone, by flesh. We are human beings. And we're made in the image of God. And like the t-shirt says with the little boy on it, God don't make no junk. Right? He didn't mess up on you. Your imperfections are beautiful in his sight. You might have noticed I've been experimenting with uh, shaving recently. Right? So I'm all clean this morning. You know what you realize when you're clean is all those little things that hide. Like I've got a mole right here the size of Texas. And I've been cut here and I have an imperfection here. All of that's hiding. Who knows what's in, uh, what's in Nick's beard? There could be all kinds of, there could be colonies of little people living in there. Hidden away from the world. But when you shave it down, you see. Ah, the contours of the face. This is who I am. This is what I look like. The same with you. Your body, everything about it is beautiful, is amazing. How, how far would we get if we had a higher degree of self-acceptance? But we reject ourselves, Right? We say, I'm too much like this, or I wish I were more like that, or if I only looked like this or that or the other. God accepts you for who you are. He created you. The shade of your face, the shape of your body, your height, your weight, everything about you. God absolutely adores and longs for us to embrace as well. You see, we're formed by God. He made us in a physical sense, but also in the, in the interior. And in everything I just read about body systems and organs and all of that, that's the physical self. There is as well an emotional self and a spiritual self. Those invisible parts of who we are and how we connect with the divine. See, that's what it means to be made in the image of God. Is that we have the capacity to think and to reason and to aspire. And we have the desire within us to connect with others and to connect with God. There's a void in us that the hyenas didn't have. They just roam the plains and do what hyenas do. Eat stuff that doesn't run fast. But we have this capacity within us to connect with God in a spiritual way. It's amazing. We have the capacity to connect with one another relationally. We're not just random pack animals, right? Driven by instinct and desires and urges. We have the capacity 
the longing to connect with, with the God who made us and brought us into this world. So this last part of the poem, you know, it doesn't seem to fit at first glance. We've had this beautiful, poetic musing over the fact that God knows us more than we know ourselves, the fact that God is present with us everywhere. He knows precisely where we are. Uh, we're formed by God. He knit us together in our mother's womb. And then verse 19 says, Oh, that you would kill the wicked. Maybe there was an error in transcription. Maybe this belongs to another psalm and the monk flipped the page wrong and started copying it. No. There's got to be a connection. That the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak maliciously and lift themselves against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? So here we have the psalmist, David most likely, musing over his righteous indignation with all those people in the world that don't get it. I didn't see how that fit in with the rest of the poem. Other than to say that we are exposed by God in our deepest selves. And, and to say that nothing is off limits with God. Meaning that you're more than welcome to go on a rant about the things that bother you. And trust me, God has broad enough shoulders to take whatever it is you're dealing, right? But here's how it is, more likely than David. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. We just kind of tiptoe around and nicey-nice like everything's fine, right? But inside were this boiling cauldron of anger and bitterness and resentments. And if we don't find a way to express that that's constructive, trust me, it's going to come out one way or another. I read Psalm 139 as inviting us to bring that emotional aspect of who we are into our experience of spirituality. It's got to be a part of the deal. Not that we just sit around and pray, we love you God, thy will be done, blah, 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 blah. When all these things that are going on in our lives are really just, our blood is boiling. And if we don't have the capacity to be authentic about that in our relationship with God, then where do we have it? That's what becomes a hindrance to our self-awareness because we section this stuff off and we compartmentalize it. And this goes on the church shelf and this goes on the personal shelf and this goes on the family shelf and this goes on the stupid people I work with shelf and everything's kind of separated out in our lives. Psalm 139 invites us to take those things off of the shelf and bring them into the experience of our prayer 
and our praise and our meditation. Guess what? Being human means we're going to be frustrated. We're going to experience anger. We're going to live with disappointment because we have expectations in life that are never going to be met. And if we don't find a way to integrate those things into our experience of God, then we're sunk. Not only are we not self-aware, we're dangerous. Like ticking time bombs, walking around just waiting to explode. I see this last stanza of Psalm 139 as an invitation to bring all of ourselves into the experience of God, meaning my shame, my anger, my disappointment, my frustration, my failure, my unrealized dreams and expectations. All of life, exactly as it is. In maturity is the understanding that no emotion that we experience and express to God is like terminal, right? They pass. They come and they go. And, and here's the classic example of that. You feel sad about something, right? And as soon as you begin to feel sad, maybe the tears start to form, and then you're like, <clears throat> right? And you pull yourself together, and you move on. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid of the experience of emotion, but if we don't express the emotions, if we don't let them come through us, then they're going to build up, they're going to become dammed up, and then something's going to happen that's all out of proportion in our lives. But we're scared if we let go, if we lose control, if we start crying, that we're never going to regain it again. We're going to be terminally sad and sappy. It's not the way it works. Emotions come. We feel them. We embrace them. We offer them to God. Sort and sift through them. Psalmist doesn't filter it out. David prayed with integrity. And I know our prayers, right? Like when we're together. It's kind of a way of praying, a style and culture of praying develops. And we hear people pray, and then we pray like them, and that becomes our prayer language. That's what prayer is. But guess what? Prayer is just everything. Prayer is exactly what it needs to be in your life. Prayer means taking what you're experiencing and, and offering it up to God. Really, we need to be integrated. Psalm 139 is a manifesto of integration with the recognition that we are seen by God in a way that's remarkable and beautiful, that we're located by God. We can't run. We can't escape His presence, His Spirit. We are formed. God knit us together in the inmost place, and we're exposed, whistling in the wind. It's not like God doesn't already know, right? It's not a new revelation. God's not like, God be like, oh my God. Would God say, oh my God? Oh my God. I didn't know that. Really? Of course he knows.
A year of growing knowledge is a year of getting comfortable with who we are. Self-acceptance leading to self-awareness. In the authentic expression of who you are in this world and, and what you bring to the table. There's a reason for your existence. We are following and becoming like the compassionate Christ. Let me pray for you. God, if it's true and if we're known like this, you might feel a little uneasy right now. A little bit uh, vulnerable. But we bring our vulnerability to you. Because we know that we're loved and we know that we're safe. And we know, God, that you're our refuge. And we draw strength from you. Father, we thank you for the intricacies of who we are and how we live. And it's just amazing to think about. God, we want to see you intimately inside and out the fabric of our being. Let us be honest with you and courageous. And let us venture a little bit of vulnerability with those around us. Knowing that here we have as well safety and acceptance. Because we are becoming at First Baptist. A community of disciples who are formed in the image of Christ and walking in the direction of Jesus. We thank you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Even when I'm down in the darkness, you call my name. You call me my name now. You should think I had to do it on my own, but I'm never